biggest events uh, in this great nation always is the Super Bowl. But uh, there are reasons to believe that this Super Bowl will be different, at least in one way. Because for the first time, it, it looks like there is going to be uh, religious advertising on the Super Bowl in behalf of a campaign which I had been unaware of, and I'm very glad to be aware of it because I think it's an awfully clever, persuasive, and beneficial, wholesome campaign. It is a campaign of not for a political candidate, not for a political point of view. In fact, they stay away from politics altogether. But it is a campaign on behalf of Jesus. Uh, does that offend you if uh, that is on the Super Bowl, if it is on uh, billboards around the country and featured on, on different media outlets and, yes, featured on the Super Bowl? The uh, headline over in People magazine is Christian Group Seeks to Promote Jesus Christ in a New Light with a $100 million ad campaign. He gets us. Now, this is not an advertisement for a ministry. It is not an advertisement that is trying to sell things. It's uh, trying to sell a philosophy, an idea, and, uh, and one that uh, the folks behind this campaign feel needs some strengthening in the United States. The, uh, the article in People magazine, which is written by Abigail Adams... No, not that Abigail Adams. She's been gone for a long time, the second first lady of uh, the United States. She was actually the uh, second lady because she was the wife of the first vice president. But in any event, this, uh, this piece says the campaign will run TV commercials, including a Super Bowl ad, as well as online content, billboards, and more marketing materials aimed at younger generations. The theme of the ads, he gets us. The ads have already started appearing online and will take over billboards and airways across the nation with the goal of presenting Christianity in a new light to millennials and Gen Z. That according to Christianity Today. The group's TV commercials, including the Super Bowl ad, and content uh, optimized for other high-profile platforms were created with assistance from a Michigan-based marketing agency called Haven. Quote, a lot of times the perception is that Christianity is kind of working against people. Campaign spokesperson and Haven President Jason Vanderground told NBC News, we wanted to help them see that in Jesus there was someone who had a lot of common experience just like they did. For instance, there is this ad. Uh, we'll just play the soundtrack, and please take my word for it. These are very well edited in terms of the visual imagery that go along with the ads. The ad about compassion from uh, the He Gets Us series of ads. Listen. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high. Hope dwindled. Hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system, and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. 
I'll bring them together and feed them. Around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. Shared struggles, shared joy, shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. Okay, uh, anybody find anything offensive in that ad? I am almost sure there will be people, you know, where's the Freedom From Religion Foundation when we <laughs> really need them? They will, uh, again, the ads are so well done and so kind is the way they sound. This is not fire and brimstone. It's uh, the opposite. It's um, pledging a fellowship, hope, positivity. Uh, there is uh, this ad in particular, The Rebel. Listen. A rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They roamed the hood and challenged authority. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. We have to get them off the streets, they said. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. Okay, uh, that's, um, again, I think an effective advertising strategy. What is the point? The ads will encourage visitors, users, to visit hegetsus.com and connect using features such as a live chat function, a text line for prayer and positive vibes, and more. Merchandise available on this website. But it's not merchandise that you pay for with money. They have a T-shirt that says Jesus was wrongly judged and a hat that says Jesus was a refugee. The, uh, the swag that you get from uh, these ads... This merchandise doesn't cost money, but as they say, it's not exactly free. Quote, the site explains, the price you'll find on each item is not monetary, but something you'll be asked to do. Help a neighbor, serve the poor, forgive a family member, etc. Okay, um, do I think that uh, this is going to change America overnight? Well, it, it, it could help uh, and certainly can't hurt. According to a Gallup poll conducted in May of last year, the number of U.S. adults who say they believe in God has dipped to 81%. Now, that's still a very solid majority, obviously, but it fell from 87% in 2017. Up until... 2011 Gallup poll showed that 90% of Americans believed in God. Uh, the, in 2021, Gallup reported that the number of U.S. adults who belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque dropped below 50% for the first time ever. And that has led to a lot of thoughts about how you market the idea of religious participation more effectively. Simultaneously, they say in people, uh, positive views of Christianity are on the decline, something 
Vanderground, who is one of the principals behind this campaign, which is supposed to cost $100 million, he acknowledged during his interview with NBC News, yet despite the trend and the campaign's efforts to market Jesus, Vanderground doesn't think Christianity's central figure needs an image makeover. Rather, he believes people should listen more to the actual message. I think if people could hear that message of love and compassion and forgiveness, something that we deeply desire, we need these things one way or another, and we believe he gave an example for it. Um, the, uh, on his main page, the campaign suggests that uh, Jesus was fed up with politics. I think that's safe to say. In addition to living in the middle of a culture war, all his own. The uh, page also suggests that some people wanted Christ canceled <laughs> because they felt threatened by his words, including his extreme views on love. Now, this is all put together by a group called the Signatory, which was established in 2000, which has given out more than $3 billion in transformational grants to nonprofits around the world. Uh, more coming up and more political progress in different corners of the country. We'll talk about it. Show on the planet, the Michael Medved Show, and on the Michael Medved Show, uh, there are reasons for encouragement with all of the tragic news in the country. The news about mass shootings. It turns out that uh, the the shooting in Half Moon Bay, where they had a a 62 year old agricultural worker uh, who went out and and shot to death four people in the in one of the places he worked and then he killed three others in the other place he worked it turns out what set him off was a hundred dollar dispute which again to be so upset about a hundred dollar dispute that you take seven lives and ruin your own life and it, at least the individual has uh, some some remorse it would appear but with all of the, the tragedy and the horror surrounding the death of uh, Tyree Nichols, and we're going to hear more of it because his funeral is coming up. It's going to be a big major event. The president is meeting with the Black Caucus in Congress, and we will continue to be hearing about that. But there is this from... Uh, well, Iowa, for instance, Governor Kim Reynolds, who, by the way, is one of those other people whose name is beginning to be mentioned as a potential presidential candidate. She's very popular in her home state. She's very good on media, and she's been a remarkably successful governor. She signed new legislation today making Iowa the second in the nation to establish a universal school choice program. The new program will provide students with more than $7,000 in annual funds 
through an education savings account that can be used to cover all sorts of education-related expenses, including private school tuition and private tutoring. Every student deserves access to the education that is right for them, and parents should be entire, empowered to make that decision on behalf of their child, regardless of income or zip code. Uh, the... Uh, uh, th they said in a release for this new program just signed by Governor Reynolds. The Students First Act helps accomplish that goal. Governor Reynolds continues to be a champion for Iowa students and understands the importance of parents being in charge of their uh, children's education. And then there is this from Oklahoma, where um, the governor of Oklahoma, newly reelected governor, uh, Kevin Stitt, said he wants Oklahoma parents to have at least $5,000 per child and uh, to have uh, in a state funding to use for private school tuition as part of the proposed statewide school choice program. We've kind of trapped kids in their zip code school and we said, hey, this is what's best for you and you've got no other options, Stitt said. And so really it's become only the richer the haves who are able to move their kids to a better school. But in Oklahoma now, I believe that every single parent, regardless of your economic status or your zip code, deserves the best education possible. So why not let parents choose and let every kid decide? This is the uh, second year Stitt has endorsed creation of an education savings account program that would allow parents to use state tax funding to pay for private school tuition. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, ongoing trip to the Middle East by uh, Secretary Antony Blanken, uh, the Secretary of State, he uh, spoke in Israel uh, in, in terms that some members of the Netanyahu government may not welcome at all. Uh, and, and had this to say concerning freedom for Israelis and Palestinians. This is clip six. As we advance Israel's integration, we can do so in ways that improve the daily lives of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. And that's crucial to moving toward our enduring goal, the Palestinians and Israelis enjoying equal measures of freedom, security, opportunity, justice, and dignity. President Biden remains fully committed to that goal. We continue to believe that the best way to achieve it is through preserving and then realizing the vision of two states. As I said to the Prime Minister, anything that moves us away from that vision is, in our judgment, detrimental to Israel's long-term security and its long-term identity as a Jewish and democratic state. That's why we're urging uh, all sides uh, now to take urgent steps to restore calm, to de-escalate. Um, we want to make sure that there's an environment in which uh, we can, I hope, at some point create the conditions where we can start to restore a sense of security for Israelis and Palestinians alike, which, of course, is sorely lacking. Okay, the, the reason it's sorely lacking is because there is one side in this dispute that has refused to negotiate. I mean, literally refused for years and years and years. And there was even, uh, uh, when Netanyahu was prime minister before, the Palestinians had said no, they wouldn't negotiate until there was a, a temporary halt on all uh, 
construction in any of the town settlements, uh, what people call settlements, but they're really villages and cities uh, that uh, exist uh, with Jewish residents in the West Bank. And, uh, and Netanyahu agreed to it. And yet there still wasn't a return to negotiation. It's like the promised uh, Palestinian election. He, uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the 87-year-old president of the Palestinian Authority, who is now going into, I think it's the 14th year of his four-year term uh, because they don't allow elections. When you don't allow elections and you have no grounds for negotiating, a complete uh, unwillingness to negotiate, uh, that's something where in his uh, scrupulously even-handed comments, uh, Secretary Blinken did not want to acknowledge. Here's what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said about Israel's security, clip seven. I can repeat again something that you've heard me say many times. Our policy and my policy is to do everything within Israel's power to prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons and the means to deliver them. And that will remain so. But obviously the fact that we and the United States uh, are working together is something that uh, is important for this common goal as well. Um, in addition to thwarting the danger, we also see an opportunity to seize opportunities, the opportunities of expanding the circle of peace. We intend to deepen uh, the uh, peace that we've already made in the Abraham Accords. We discussed some of the initiatives that we are considering doing together. Okay, and uh, again, this could be beneficial for the whole world, especially in light of Alexa predicting, apparently, World War III starting, and starting soon, this year, 2023. How does she know? We'll give you that story coming up on The Medved Show. Hey, Michael, great show, guy. I love it. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, a lot of people believe that uh, Alexa knows everything. Um, it's certainly the belief of our six-year-old granddaughter, uh, Julia, who we had the great privilege of spending kind of all day with yesterday. Uh, and she she talks to Alexa more effectively than I do. But then again, she, she does everything uh, involving uh uh, tech technology more effectively than I do, uh, but uh, uh, the the word in the Daily Star over in the UK is Alexa has predicted date World War Three will start, and uh, it begins by saying a viral video that originated on TikTok shows the smart speaker, the device, responding to a question about the end of the world by saying, World War III starts on November 23rd, 2023 at 6.05 p.m. when 
Russia launches an attack against Germany. Uh-huh, that's uh, payback for Operation Barbarossa, which was in June of 1941, which was the uh, German attack on Russia, which, by the way, sealed Hitler's loss of the war. I mean, one of the, one of the worst decisions uh, ever made by a, a major leader. Um, the, uh, the ad from the, the, the piece from the Daily Star says there's certainly been some friction between Russia and Germany over the supply of leopard tanks to Ukraine, but there's little chance of an actual war. But while that chilling prediction could just turn out to be correct, the original source of the video clip suggests that it could be the work of a notorious TikTok trickster. What is a TikTok trickster? Uh, John Buckhouse specializes in posting spoof Alexa responses online. Among his most popular clips are one claiming that Miami would be completely destroyed in a 2025 hurricane, and another predicting a White House run for wrestler-turned-action star Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That one at least is fairly plausible, they write, with the former world wrestling entertainment star saying in 2021 that he would consider a political career if there was enough public demand. Uh, look, I think that uh, for Dwayne Johnson's political career, the, the right step is to run as an independent or perhaps as a Republican in California for governor and follow the example of uh, President Reagan and Governor Schwarzenegger. But uh, in any event, apparently he's not uh, going to be or to get into the race on either side this time. Um, what uh, The Rock said in 2021, I do have that goal to unite our country, and I also feel that if this is what the people want, then I will do that, he told uh, the Today Show. It's not entirely clear how uh, John Buckhouse persuades Alexa to make the dramatic prophecies, but researchers from online fact-checking service Snopes have suggested that he may be making use of Alexa blueprints. You ever heard of Alexa blueprints? Me neither. The um, uh, blueprints enables Alexa owners to create custom responses to specific questions. For example, you can teach Alexa your Wi-Fi password so it can remind you of it when needed. I would imagine you could probably teach or train Alexa, Alexa, who is the mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? Who's the smartest? Who's the fairest? Who's the best? You could imagine people making an Alexa specifically, oh, for President Trump, for instance. When the tool was launched, Amazon suggested it might be useful to provide custom information such as emergency contact details to a babysitter, for example. Steve Rabuchin, who is a vice president for Amazon Alexa, enthused Alexa Skill Blueprints is an entirely new way for you to teach Alexa personalized skills just for you and your family. You don't need experience building skills or coding to get started. My family created our own jokes uh, skill in a matter of minutes, and it's been a blast to interact with Alexa in a totally new and personal way. 
But while he was promoting the device's powers, Steve did not mention anything about programming the ubiquitous household assistant with any Nostradamus-type abilities. An Alexa spokesperson told the Daily Star, this is not Alexa's official response, and we have not been able to replicate this video. Uh, the video showing Alexa predicting that World War III starts on November 23rd, 2023. Uh, by the way, Biden is still president at that point. And uh, it does raise all kinds of questions about if uh, Russia actually does attack Germany, Germany is a member of NATO, that's an Article 5 situation where we are obliged to go to Russia uh, to hit back at Russia and to defend our German allies. Uh, this is, um, uh, by the way, former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who did a terrific job uh, trying to keep the Trump administration on, on track when he was the Defense Secretary for President Trump. And uh, he talks about the, the tr tremendous importance and urgency of providing uh, more weapons of war uh, that are crucial for the future of Ukraine. This is clip eight. Listen. Absolutely. I think we should provide jets. Um, I, I still wonder what happened to the MiG-29s or so we were discussing 10 months ago. And so uh, the chancellor has said these things in the past. Other leaders have as well that they won't get this technology or that to include President Biden. But look, we need to lean into this. We need to we need to help Ukraine win and they can win against the Russians. And to do that, they're going to need fixed wing strike aircraft to help uh, conduct an offensive against the Russians and to push Russia out of Ukraine to include Crimea. I think that we've been behind the curve at each step of the way. Uh, you talk about HIMARS, we were behind the curve, we said we wouldn't, and then Patriot and other air defense systems and now tanks. I think this will happen inevitably. As such, why not begin training uh, German, I'm sorry, Ukrainian pilots on F-16s? Uh, it, it doesn't foreclose the fact that we may or may not in the end, but why not get ahead of that so that if a decision is finally made to provide, for example, F-16s, then the pilots are all ready to go. They're trained up. Uh, the technicians, uh, the maintenance crews are prepared as well. And so then it's just a matter of providing the jets and they can be they can be ready to go within a, a, a matter of weeks. At this point, with regard to the tanks, it's going to take months, I'm afraid, to, to deliver them, to train on them, to be prepared to support them logistically and so on. And that just is insufficient given the timelines that we're up against. Okay, I, I, I believe that his advice should be taken seriously. And one would hope that it would be especially when uh, the members of Congress actually get to considering when they have solved the, uh, the, the debt ceiling crisis where apparently uh, Speaker McCarthy has indicated, yeah, he wants to sit down with President Trump and they can work on that. Uh, and, and meanwhile, will they work on some kind of compromise between what was called the George Floyd police reform bill, which was sponsored by Democrats, and the more moderate and I think much more constructive bill that was put together by Senator Tim Scott. If uh, Cory Booker, who was working on the Democratic bill, could sit down with his friend Tim Scott and they could work something out, it uh, could help to answer some of the questions and challenges posed by the death of Tyree Nichols.
So we will get back to that and what those questions are coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. As the nation continues to react to the horrific uh, killing of uh, Tyree Nichols, uh, which, uh, again, is, is so vastly worse, it, it truly is, than George Floyd. And I think, why is it worse than George Floyd? Because what you have is a, a continued beating not uh, standing on the neck and and despite the fact that the standing on the neck was horrible enough and the treatment of George Floyd was horrible enough, there wasn't the sadistic uh, and, and unceasing attempt to, to, uh, to, to do harm to uh, apparently this innocent individual. Now, we don't know yet whether he was actually speeding down the wrong side of the street. Uh, and the Memphis Police Department has been very clear. They can't, they can't back that up by evidence other than that's what some of the accused police officers have said. But there is uh, uh, this, and it's, it's very strange to find Whoopi Goldberg actually agreeing, at least uh, to some extent, with a very conservative columnist like Gerard Baker in the Wall Street Journal. But here is Whoopi Goldberg first, clip 10. You know, when will the brutality finally lead to some police reform from the ground up? Because clearly, it doesn't matter if it's a white policeman or a black policeman, it is a problem in the police and the policing yes. itself. You know, seems things don't seem to make sense to people unless it's somebody they can feel or they can recognize. Mm -hmm. But how many times do we have to, do we need to have to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything? I'm not suggesting that. So don't write us and tell me what a, you know, what a racist I am. Okay, the, the truth is white people do get beaten up. And at the time of uh, the George Floyd killing, there were collections of videos that you could see. One of them was even done for cops for the TV show, showing a, uh, a white uh, individual who was uh, actually uh, terribly beaten and uh, by, by other white cops. But in any event, this is what, um, what Gerard Baker writes in the Wall Street Journal the police do a courageous and indispensable job in protecting the rest of us. They deserve our unstinting support, but we also have a right to expect accountability when things go badly wrong. In Memphis, it, thing, it seems, many things, uh, police recruitment, training, and supervision may have helped to produce the grotesque outcome. Memphis is unlikely to be alone. But, of course, the largest question whenever a black man dies at the hands of law enforcement is swirling around race. The right question to ask is, would the Memphis officers have behaved as they did if the man they were pursuing had been white? 
we can't know the answer, but we can frame the question differently. Is it less probable that a confrontation between these officers and the suspect would have resulted in his violent death if he had been, let's say, a middle-aged white man rather than a 29-year-old black man? There is still much room for uncertainty, but I think the answer here is clearly yes. And what he's basing that on is the idea that the experience of police officers in going about their daily work in some of the roughest neighborhoods in Memphis, which, as everybody has heard, has the third highest per capita murder rate in the country, that a lot of their experiences were involving young men who happened to be black, like Tyree Nichols. It doesn't mean that he was part of that or had any criminal record. But in terms of the fear, the rush of adrenaline, the, the sense of danger that any cop would feel in the process of trying to subdue someone uh, and, and then someone who runs from them, which, of course, is one of the worst mistakes anyone can make. Uh, Gerard Baker writes, there's a darker question about race in this case which comes to mind as you watch the video of the assault. The initial phase of the intersection is a depressing picture of incompetent policing. Five burly officers are unable to restrain a single unarmed underweight man. He was 6'3", 145 pounds. That's really skinny. Uh, and he somehow fleetingly escapes the onslaught of arms, fists, batons, lasers, tasers, they bring to the unequal struggle. The most disturbing part is what happens when they catch up with him. The depravity of the cops doing the beating is hard to watch and almost impossible to fathom. Nichols is treated as an object, a punching bag. He is in this moment dehumanized in the way we have seen countless victims of official violence dehumanized through history. And the uncomfortable thought surfaces, is this dehumanization something that the mind does more easily when the object to be dehumanized is a black man? Fixing the deep social problems that result in higher crime rates and sometimes tragic encounters with police among blacks is a continuing task for policymakers. But fixing in our own minds of blacks and whites alike Lingering stereotypes of particular demographics is an urgent task for all of us. I think that's uh, powerful and significant and uh, not uh, a great deal more significant than uh, Roy Wood Jr., who offered, a, um, I think, an attempt at humor. This is clip three. Police got all these elite units. Mm -hmm. How about the police form an elite unit that's specifically trained to not kill black people? That's the unit. It's an all-out unit, bro. Talking six months of boot camp, learning how to identify black people, identify when our hands are up, identifying what complying looks like, all of it. I bet you could do that. If you did all of that, you could drop the killings of black people by as much as 20%. <laughs> The um, numbers, by the way, provided by the Washington Post are that in 2022, 
the number of unarmed black people killed in encounters with police was seven. Uh, meanwhile, the number here is, well, it's almost numberless. There are major stars in Maybe I Do. Diane Keaton and Richard Gere and uh, Susan Sarandon. So what's it about? Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. A glamorous young couple have been living together for some time until their parents, played by Susan Sarandon, Diane Keaton, Richard Gere, and William H. Macy, get together to try to encourage a marriage in Maybe I Do, a romantic comedy now playing in theaters. Our kid sleeps with their kids. Doesn't that entitle us to a dinner? My parents want to have you guys over. Absolutely not. Why don't you want to meet these people? What could we possibly have in common? Well, part of the surprises have to do with the fact that the parents have more in common than they thought. As this good-natured, cleverly structured film by promising writer-director Michael Jacobs tenderly explores the relationships of all three couples at its center. Emma Roberts, the niece of Julia, is also charming and charismatic as the would-be bride. It's rated PG-13 despite frequent sexual references. Three stars for the witty and charming Maybe I Do. And certainly uh, of the films about marriage released this week, including You People with Jonah Hill and Eddie Murphy and uh, the Jennifer Lopez movie, uh, Shotgun Wedding, <laughs> this, is, this is the one that uh, is going to be most enjoyable to watch. Speaking of most enjoyable, uh, the Washington Democrats in Olympia, uh, our state capital and state of Washington, have come up with a proposal that is just uh, so troublesome that you wonder what they're thinking. They want to make voting legally required, meaning you get punished if you choose not to vote. Good idea, do you think? We'll talk about it next time. There's also uh, a new survey with a stunning result that shows that uh, a significant number of adults in the country still rely on their parents to pay bills. Not an insignificant number. And a shock poll that says a huge chunk of the Trump base would back him running as a third party candidate against DeSantis and Biden. And who would come out of that the winner? I think it's pretty obvious. We'll talk about that and more Wednesday next time in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.